0: On today's show, we welcome back meteorologist Don Day for the entire show. So
1: there's a lot of climate change narrative that's based on, frankly, outdated views on how these oceans may be impacting
0: these weather trends that we see. Oh yes, our discussion of La Nina sea surface temperatures and some extreme weather events leads us down the road of talking climate change. But to blame the whole basket of drought troubles on just climate change
1: is basically people who are saying that are just well. I'll I'll be nice. They're ignorant. (laughs) They're ignorant of of the main climate
0: drivers. Plus, he'll give us his perspective on when he believes the La Nina will fade and will go region by region across North America and what he predicts the winter and early spring to look like. And what years does he predict to see in general across the country a wetter than normal year? Listen in and find out on today's episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Welcome back here again. This is the Working Ranch Radio Show and I'm your host, Justin Mills. We're glad to have you joining us here on our program today. I realized, uh, though, my voice is a little bit raspy here on our program today. And uh, the other day I was in a meeting and and I had made a comment about, I thought it was because uh, that day i had been moving cows and I was kind of hollering at my young dog a little bit more than than, uh, I would normally be. And uh, he was a little bit out of control, unfortunately. And we're going to have to go back to the pens with him as we were moving cows out in the pasture and all of a sudden I look out there and he is now in the front, should be on the side or in the back, and he was in the wrong spot. So uh, I had to get him back in the pickup and we were done for the day. But in that process, I kind of blamed it on that whole episode there, but I think I kind of have maybe something a little bit bigger than that. But uh, we're getting by and we are glad to have you here on our program today. We're going to be talking weather today. And if you heard us in the very beginning of our intro today, meteorologist Don Day is joining us. If you're a regular listener here of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Well, then you know meteorologist Donde is not a stranger to us here on our program as he does deliver for us every show a long-term weather outlook, a, a brief outlook for the for the country. Today, though, we're going in-depth, and it's a great discussion because we're going to really get to go a lot of different directions with this. Of course, first we're going to be talking about the how long he predicts the La Nina to hold on there because we are going into winter number three of a La Nina weather pattern and so he's going to talk about that and then also as it fades how that's going to affect weather across the country as we go region by region but in between all of that some really good discussion from his perspective about some of the climate change narrative that takes up a lot of the the uh, mainstream media and the rhetoric that you hear in that and uh, a, a really good perspective that he's going to share with us on that so a great program today glad to have him uh, joining us for our entire show right now I do want to thank our sponsors of the working ranch radio show you know this time of the year in fact last week we did it it's wean in time and so when you you're thinking weaning time, and you want protection and recovery. Well, then think Vita Charge by Biozyme. For more information, visit vitafirm.com forward slash vita Charge charge and a while back you know we talked about genomics Uh, it was a program we had a while back and if you're interested in something like that go to this website visit inheritprogress.com and this is a way you can get some genomics on what you'll know about those replacement heifers that you're keeping back and you can ask about uh, your rep about free tsu's to get you started zoetis you know it's the little things that could derail progress but your herd can be covered visit getlessparasites.com for solutions from Zoetis. Also, the American Cemental Association, you know, they have been very uh, kind of almost leading the way when it comes to the genomic and and some of the numbers game that's out there, making some very fundamental changes that's really given ranchers a lot of information at their fingertips and uh, something that helps their whole concept of making you, the rancher, profitable. If you want to find out more, go to their website at Limontal.org. And ZenPro Availafour. Allow your cows and calves to perform to their full potential with Zenpro Availafour. Well it's time now to check in with the Captain Tim O'Byrne. He is the publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents.
2: Hey, Justin. Hey, everybody out there in Working Ranch Radio Land. Let's dig into the mailbag here. We got a letter from a listener in Oklahoma. Hey, Mr. Mills. Mr. Mills. Wow. I've been meaning to shoot you a message. The genomics thing was sure interesting, but made me think about the EPD environment. I'm in Oklahoma, and there are buku cow-calf guys here. In my part of the state, the predominant land use is cattle pasture. All that being said, I'm the only person I know that uses EPDs. Isn't that crazy? I know tons of guys that run cows and none use EPDs on their bull purchase. It's hard to believe I can make such a statement in 2022. And I don't just mean old guys. Old guys? Oh my word. Many guys much younger than me. Is that not just insane? And I don't just mean $2,000 bulls. Some real high dollar animals. Whenever I start talking about the EPDs of a bull, I can tell guys just tune me out. I'm regarded as some kind of next generation computer cow guy. So it's nice to hear your shows that validate a few contemporary practices. Justin, what do you have to say about that letter? Back to you in the booth.
0: All right. Thanks, Captain. And just a quick side note before I respond to that, you know, he was talking about old guys in there. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, he was talking about guys about your age or so. <laughs> no, Anyways, uh, what uh, he that email was in response to was a show that we had done, uh, episode 90, I believe, and it was with Dr. Kent Anderson talking about genomics. But here was the response that I fired back to our listener here. Really interested to hear the scenario down there, actually kind of surprised that more don't look at EPDs on these bulls. And I told him, I said, I am not an EPD hound, so to speak, but I do look at them and specifically at numbers that I think affect my bottom line slash profitability. I also added it's a pretty easy way to improve your genetics. And so, uh, yeah, EPDs is really something, you know, they've been around a long time, pretty easy way to to use those and recommend that as you want to try to match up some bulls to, to your cattle. And, of course, the genomic side of things adds a whole other component to doing that. As well. So, uh, encourage folks to maybe consider that in your next bull buying venture out there. And again, thanks for the email there. Don't forget, if you do want to get a hold of me, let me know about a question you might have or a comment on the show. You can shoot me an email at justin.workingranchgmail.com. At well, stay with us. Coming up next, meteorologist Don Day steps in as we get into our featured interview. We're going to be looking at a long term weather outlook. What does it look like for this winter and spring of 2023 for folks who across the country we're going to talk about that and much more when we come back on the working ranch radio show
3: control comes when you focus on the little things from daily chores to parasite management because any little thing could derail progress but your herd can be covered visit getlessparasites.com for solutions from Zoetis.
0: Starting off in the right direction is essential to gaining an advantage later when you go to market your calves. And I have proof that the right direction is with Sim Angus sired calves. A 2020 study by K-State showed that Sim Angus sired steer calves earn more at sale time than all other breed identified sire groups with at least 50 lots represented on Superior Livestock's 2020 summer sales. The proof's right there. For low risk, High potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. Our featured interview here, as you heard in our first segment today, we're going to take a long-term look at our weather. And, of course, uh, we always have done this from time to time. And joining us, as he has in every show with our long-term weather, is meteorologist Don Day. And, Don, thanks for joining us here today as we get a little bit more in-depth here today. Good to be here. So let's first start with maybe it's it's not even the elephant in the room because we're all talking. I mean, it's been on the subject for the last three years, but let's get things straightened out because we do know we're going into another winter with La Nina, but it's not what you're saying. It's not necessarily the same as the last couple of winters.
1: Yeah, that's going to be really important because for the last two winter seasons, we've had La Nina at times pretty strong uh, from the start to the finish of winter from, from the fall season all the way into the spring and early summer season. That's what we've had for the last two years. And that's a really big reason why a large part of the United States has been suffering drought and the other bad things that go along with La Nina. However, for this winter, well, certainly we're going to start the, the, the winter season with La Nina in place and a pretty robust one, um, all indications are, and our, our confidence is pretty high, is, is that it's going to really start to fade come around sometime around January or February. So while we're still in the cold season, so to speak, as we get into February, March, and April, we're going to see it shift out of La Nina and go to what we call a neutral status which is it's not a La Nina, it's not an El Nino, but, but there's a shift in those sea surface temperatures and that tropical Pacific that with those warmer water temperatures will spell a different weather pattern, not as much influenced by La Nina during the second half of winter. So a lot of long-range forecasts that have been issued for the winter season are assuming that La Nina is going to go start to finish. And right now we don't think that's going to happen. So what that means is it's a bit of a wild card. With that shifting pattern out of La Nina, what historically we've seen is a lot of variability, lots of uh, potential for some swings in the weather and things to happen late winter and early spring that uh, could mean active. And when I mean active, um, some pretty large late season storms across parts of the lower 48 and parts of Canada as well.
3: mm mm-hmm.
0: I got a question here and, and maybe, and it's definitely my naivety in it. And when we talk about the change of water temperatures, first of all, we're talking about like very minute change in, in, in water temperatures. But my question is what changes the water temps on the equator that where that zone where we look at it, it's either La Nina neutral or El Nino. What are the factors that changes that water temperature there?
1: Well, we, we understand some of the factors, but not, but not all of them. Um, one thing that folks a lot of folks don't realize is, is that we really did not know about La Nina or El Nino until the nineties hmm. uh not not that very long ago. So these changing sea surface temperature patterns out in the subtropical Pacific, and when I say subtropical Pacific, I mean uh, just about 10 degrees north and also south of the equator between South America and northeast of Australia. That That's that area we watch very carefully. A couple of things happen uh, to make these water temperatures change. Uh, first of all, there, there appears to be natural circulations in the Pacific where you, you have these currents that they they're just like they're just like the weather the these oceans have currents and eddies uh, that go across the oceans and at times that's one way to distribute different temperatures Uh, also the amount of sunlight on the equator has a big impact as well if you have a a summer season with less clouds, you're gonna warm up the equator more than you would be with more clouds. Also, there is a high chance that volcanic activity on the ocean floor could make an impact. And then we also have to talk about water density. And without getting too technical, Justin, the colder the water is, the more dense it is. Mm -hmm. And so if you have colder water, that tends to cause those colder waters to sink as opposed to the warmer water around it. And as those ocean currents hit the continents, you have what's called upwelling and downwelling. But also what happens is you have wind pattern changes that actually help move colder and warmer water into different parts of the of the ocean. Um, there are a lot of variables that affect these cyclical changes in sea surface temperatures and these anomalies that we see. Um, So there's a lot that we need to learn. I just touched on some of the the theories. Mm -hmm. But one thing we do know is is that these cyclical patterns have been around for a long time. And the reason we know that is studying um, seabed cores and noticing the different, you can really decipher water temperatures by looking at at the plant life and the sediments that accumulate on the ocean floors. And we know that these alternating warm and cold periods have been around for since we've been around, I mean, before, since we've been around. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're they're a totally natural cycle. How they all work completely, we don't know. We're learning, we're getting more knowledge, but we don't have a really good answer on exactly all of the things that come into play
0: mm-hmm. and you know i what I find interesting is you talk about some of the historic or the weather patterns that have been going on for centuries, and yet when we get into the debate on climate issues and they want to mix in some of the current weather events and use that as the points proving the points that we are seeing a major climate change issue out there, the reality is is they're not really reconciling the current uh, weather patterns that we're in with what it was many many years ago.
1: Yeah, what what happens a lot of times is is that what has happened with the weather, whether you call them weather extremes, floods and droughts, or hurricane activity, that is blamed on climate change, a lot of times is actually because of these recurring Pacific cycles. And the last three years is a really good example of that. The drought conditions in the Southwest and Western United States and parts of the Central U.S., historically, from what we've been able to decipher from uh, previous La Nina's and El Niño cycles, is that if you have a multi-year La Nina, you have drought in the Central and Western United States. Now, that is due to a colder subtropical Pacific, not because of those subtropical waters overheating uh, that you would expect in, in a in a climate change narrative. It also is important to, to, to point this out. A lot of people don't know this. A lot of the climate change theory based on greenhouse gases was formulated in the late 70s and the early 80s, uh, even going back to the 1960s. This was before they even knew about these ocean cycles in the Pacific. So there's a lot of climate change narrative that's based on, frankly, outdated views on how these oceans may be impacting these weather trends that we see. So drought in the West, if you, if you read a lot of the media, is because of climate change. But it's really because of the multi-year La Nina. That's not to say that climate change maybe hasn't impacted that somewhat, but to blame the whole basket of drought troubles on just climate change is basically people who are saying that are just, well, I'll I'll be nice. They're ignorant. (laughs) They're ignorant of of the main climate drivers. Yeah.
0: Well, and, and you were talking about the narrative that's out there in regards to climate change that oftentimes agriculture finds themselves in the crosshairs on what is interesting is that we we really don't have, you know, they're making claims, and we really in the in in the scheme of things have a relatively short window of data that they're making those claims from.
1: Right, and and what'll what'll happen in these, and you know, I I really go back to the the, the 2011 2012 when we had a similar situation where we had a multi-year line in, we had a lot of drought, and you you had a lot of the talk about that. And then, actually, from 2013 to 2019, very little drought occurred in the United States, and you really didn't hear much about it. Uh, that that uh, you know, we actually had a very wet year in 2019, one of the wettest years in the lower 48 states and in some of the key ag areas. A lot of folks don't remember 2019. When I remind folks how wet it was in 2019, they forget. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another thing that, that I've noticed is that memories tend to be very short. And I I find myself doing this and other people in my business as well is reminding folks that we have seen these things before. You just got to go back and, and look at it. But with weather, and this is, this is human nature, with whether you're projecting forward all the time because you're wanting to know what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month, next summer. And we just tend to move on. But a lot of times we forget that we should look back and see what's happened before. I mean, I hearken back to uh, the settling of the West when people kept really important diaries every day. You know, they wrote they wrote down what they observed and what they experienced, whether it was their livestock or the wildlife, but they always had a remark for the weather. And then you'll find out that, you know, they, they were building weather records That they could go back and they start, they started to notice trends after 20 or 30 years as well. So a lot of times I like to say that the mystery is in the history. Mm-hmm. The mystery of our current weather sometimes is not very far away in, in the historical record.
0: Mm-hmm. And as you were talking about that, it made me think about uh, there's a Netflix series called The Mind Explained. I don't know if you've had a chance to see it, but it's a series of different things about the mind. And one of the things is how our memories are really tied to something that emotionally happened. And so it, it's it's interesting when you go to the coffee shop or you go to the feed store, you go to the sale bar and you're having a conversation with with somebody about, you know, the current weather situation and say we're in a drought and they say boy this is this is the worst one i can remember.
1: <laughs> yeah, i hear that every year. Um, i hear that this was the craziest winter or summer they've ever they've ever experienced and then the same person will say the, the same thing next year. And you know after a while you just kind of say okay, it is because it is human nature. It, it's the way we're built. Mm-hmm. Um no matter whether or not you worry you're worried about climate change or not one thing that is really lacking is the historical perspective of where we are now with the earth's climate to where it's been in the past. And that is going to be a really good indicator of what our future might be like, uh, or understanding what has happened in the past helps us explain what kind of what we're seeing now and of these other aspects. Uh, but it, it's hard to do. Mm-hmm. It, it's really hard to, to, um, be able to talk to folks and say to get that historical perspective because you're living in the now. You've got to adjust to the weather and the climate that you're working with and dealing with because, you know, everybody wants to go back in their life and change a few things, right? <laughs> uh, can't do that with the weather.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Meteorologist Don Day is our guest here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show. We're having an entire show dedicated to our, our weather outlook and long-term weather outlook. Stay with us. We have two more segments uh, on, on this particular subject. And then, of course, Don will join us, as he always does in our fourth segment, to just give a little bit more immediate long-term weather outlook. But when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the historical perspective. And we'll go through region by region of what we what uh, he anticipates to see for the next four to six months out there. and then in our third segment today how is this on the weather world scenario going to affect us here in the united states we're going to talk a little bit about that as well stay with us we'll be back on the working ranch radio show after this
3: Aid stressed cattle during weaning, shipping, receiving, and vaccination by delivering a multi-day supply of essential minerals and nutrients. With Zinpro Profusion Drench, you can keep receiving calves, performing, and achieve a 16-to-1 return on investment with 20% reduced respiratory loss. Optimize performance from the start with Zinpro Profusion Drench.
0: and we welcome you back here to the working ranch radio show i'm justin mills my guest today is meteorologist don day as we uh, talk a little bit more in depth about our weather if you just joining us now in our first segment we were talking about la nina and and uh, the, the effect of it and how long he anticipates it to go maybe a little bit different his opinion is in, in some of the uh, noaa uh, weather reports out there that you're hearing so uh, go back and listen to that if you if you didn't get an opportunity to hear that don We were talking about uh, just sometimes how we have memories that are when we have emotion tied in there. Sometimes it feels like it's the worst experience that we we've gone through in those coffee shop conversations where we say, "Boy, that's the worst drought or 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 biggest rain or biggest snowstorm we've seen that I can experience in my lifetime." Just those kind of conversations that happen. So, from a historical perspective, because you're really big on this and that, we really need to look at our weather not just immediately, but look back over the years. So, from A historical perspective, this La Nina that we've been out of, and I know you've you've also equated it to back in 2011 and 12. But if you look at it, how is it in comparison to over the years?
1: Yeah, what's really interesting over the last 30 years uh 30 35 years we've had these we've had three multi year lineas. this one uh that's really gone from 2020 to 2022 then that 2011 2012 episode we just talked about but then if you go back there's another one that happened right around 1999 through 2001 all three of those if you look at the impacts uh, that, that was some of the worst drought conditions across a large part of the central and western United States over the last 30 years. The last three major droughts have occurred during these multi-year La Ninas. And it's no accident because La Ninas uh, mean less water vapor from the Pacific, less opportunities for rain, more wind, all of these these things that come along with it. Now, folks may say, OK, can you go back even further? And, and we can. And, and we could go back into the eighties and, and and the seventies and the sixties and the fifties and the forties to where we still, we have fairly decent weather records and we can see these cycles going on through. But another, another thing that from a historical standpoint, which is really important to point out is, is that let's go back to that 1999 to 2001 multi-year La Nina and, and that drought, because this current drought reminds me of those last two periods. Mm-hmm. Um, we had what was called the, uh, the, the great Pacific shift that happened in the late nineties and right around 1999 to 2000. And the Pacific ocean, we know that we have these La Niñas and we, we have these El Niños that alternate. They'll they'll go one to three years, kind of back and forth, but there's a a 20 to 30 year cycle. We call the Pacific decadal oscillation where the general trend is either colder or warmer for the whole ocean uh, top to bottom. And we had a shift, from a warmer phase of the Pacific that started in the late 60s, that went through the late 60s, through the 70s, through the 80s, and into the mid to late 90s to where the Pacific was warmer. And during that 30-year roughly stretch of that warm phase of the Pacific, um, there was much less drought, much less drought. Mm -hmm. Then we went into a colder phase, which is called the negative Pacific decadal oscillation in 99 and 2000 and that's why uh we have had three severe droughts in the last 30 years because that colder phase of the pacific like la nina is a drought signal of let's say more intense droughts if you add up the number of el ninos that occurred from the late 60s to the late 90s they're three times they occurred three times more frequently than what we've experienced here in the last uh, 25 years mm-hmm. Um, so going back from the historical perspective, if someone is to say, well, what is this current time period more like? Well, it's more like the fifties and it's more like the fifties to the early sixties. And if you go back and look at the weather records, you're going to see, um, several severe droughts that happened in, in the fifties, uh, until we saw that change in the late sixties. Mm-hmm. So, um, a lot of times I, I warn people and say, you know, your dad's weather doesn't mean it's your weather. It may be more like your grandpa or your great grandpa's weather is more like what your weather is experiencing now. And and that's thing is that if you think about these Pacific shifts on a 20 or 30 year cycle, that's, you know, depending on who you talk to a generation, you know, a generational shifts about 30 years. Yeah. Um, and so I think that catches people as well. It's like, well, I don't remember. I heard somebody this past week say, you remember when we used to have those Thanksgiving blizzards in the 70s? <laughs> <laughs> and I go, yeah, I remember them. I also remember that was a uh, warm phase in the Pacific, and they said, "Well, we don't get those Thanksgiving blizzards anymore." And and the the implication was, we'll never see them again because the climate's changed. It's like, no, we're we'll see those Thanksgiving blizzards again as soon as we shift out into this next phase in the Pacific. So that's that's that historical angle that I think is really really important. But frankly. There's very little resources to be able to find that up. You've got to do a lot of research and digging to to understand these past historical trends.
0: Mm-hmm. When you were talking about going back and it says where you think that we're kind of in this 1950s era of weather it made me think about this. The 1930s was what they call the Dust Bowl era. Will we ever get to see something like that again? I mean, and, and maybe that's a pretty open-ended question, but have we seen something like that since then? But it's just different because of our society and the mechanisms and the mechanics and everything that we have now, we're, we're handling it different.
1: Um, you know, I certainly hope we don't see that again. I don't think no one would want to see the uh, the Dust Bowl years again. Will it happen again? Well, probably it will. Uh, from what we do know about the, the, the 1930s and what led to the Dust Bowl, uh was likely a colder pacific um a cold pacific phase uh and the 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 temperature records we have for the lower 48 states in the 30s there is still no decade that has been as warm as the 30s oh really um yes and so um now you can find some temperature databases where they where they've done let's say some um very uh peculiar picking of data cherry picking we call it mm-hmm. to make the 1930s cooler But you will not find a decade as hot as the 30s in the lower 48 states, even the last you know 20 or 30 years. Temperature databases are are something that uh, people have played with and worked with, and and you got to be careful with with which databases you work with. But we still haven't seen anything as hot or as extreme as the 30s, even in in the later periods of time. So we certainly hope it doesn't happen again. Um, And the thing is, is that we do know globally, you know the episodes like the Dust Bowl have, have happened in other parts of the world. A lot of times, it's, it's a lot of variables lining up at the same time to cause an extreme situation like that. But you know what happened is, you know what happened after the Dust Bowl?
3: Hmm.
1: It went away, didn't it? Yeah. It, went, it? It phased itself out. It didn't hold. And that's another thing to remember. So I always tell folks, I said, the big secret to weather and climate is that the weather and climate is a sine wave. There's these alternating periods of, of fluctuations that it all depends if you really want to understand where you are in your climate, understand where you are on that sine wave. Because if you were to graph temperature, pressure, humidity, precipitation, clouds, whatever, you, you know, you're going to notice the up and down waves that you had in your in your high school algebra class when yeah. you had to make those graphs, you know, those <laughs> sine waves, yeah. those yeah. ups and downs. That's how the weather and the climate work.
0: Well, and I want to point out too that uh, episode 80 that we did here on the Working Ranch Radio Show was using long-term forecasts for stocking decisions. And that program had a lot to do with what you were talking about with looking at some of these longer cycles, uh, 30 to 40 or 30-year type cycles, and then also these 10-year type cycles and using that. So that's something to maybe go back and listen to. I'm going to switch up here just a little bit, Don, because I, I said we were going to go through each of the regions here in this segment. But let's since you had mentioned a little bit ago about some of the other weather across the globe. Let's hit that because when you were when we were talking off air about uh, about some of the weather that's going to be happening on the other side of the globe, I said, "Well, how does that affect us here in the U.S.?" And your response was was great because I think sometimes we do get pretty narrowed in, like, "Well, I just want to know what's happening in my neck of the woods for weather." But you pointed out there's some extreme weather on the other side of the globe that does have impacts for us here in agriculture in the U.S. And, and or North America,
1: yeah. And one thing that we we are are looking at for this winter season and other parts of the Northern Hemisphere is there's a fairly high probability that there will be parts of Europe, especially Central and Eastern Europe. Um, that 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 could have a pretty cold winter, and I'm sure most folks listening have heard on the news about the energy woes uh, in Germany and France and the UK and other uh, Eastern uh, European countries. And and the thing too, um, if you if you're if you're paying really close attention if they do end up with a colder than average winter season and their energy consumption is is higher than it's been with the shortages they have now, there is a lot of natural gas uh, that will be leaving the United States to Europe to help buffer their uh, deficits that they have in their energy to keep people warm over there. If you look at all of the things that is used by industry that does affect agriculture, that uses, number one, petroleum products, number two, natural gas, such as in fertilizer production, even though natural gas prices have eased a little bit, uh, we could have enough of an energy um, crunch over on the other side of the hemisphere that could affect some ag commodity prices uh, when it comes to what we need, fertilizers, Uh, just just basic things that are going to be made from some of these byproducts of these things, uh, is a, is an inflationary risk on top of the inflation that we have right now going into the next growing season. And it's something that not a lot of folks are talking about, but it's certainly careful to watch because if they have a hard winter, uh, that is going to drain some of our natural gas and petroleum resources here to, to make up the deficit.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Meteorologist Don Day is our guest today. Uh, We have one more segment where we're going to go through each region by region and look about uh, what he feels he anticipates to see for the next three, four, six months out uh, into the spring of 2023. So stay with us. We'll be back on the Working Ranch Radio Show after this.
3: Every year you pick your replacement heifers. Some become profitable cows. Others disappoint how can you make more reliable selections genetic testing commercial cow calf producers like you are using inherit select from Zoetis. you gain valuable predictions including cow fertility size and soundness feed efficiency growth and carcass merit as well as easy to use economic indexes this improves your selection breeding and marketing decisions Request a call from InheritProgress.com and ask about free TSUs to get you started.
0: And welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. Our featured topic here today that we're talking on is our weather. And meteorologist Day, of course, joining us as he does in every program. But we are going a little bit more in-depth here today. At the very first segment, Don, when we were talking, you gave us an outline of uh, of how much longer you think the La Niña is going to hold on, explaining that this this winter, uh, you don't foresee it happening the whole winter long. So it's going to phase out. We're going to hit that neutral point. So what I'd like to do is kind of go region by region across the country and just kind of outline what you anticipate the next, you know, however far you want to go, you know, winter, spring is going to look like for these areas. So I don't know if it's the, is it easier to start in the, the left northwest or easier to start in the northeast? Let's go west east. Okay, sounds good. So let's just start up in the northwest.
1: For the Northwest, um, I am cautiously optimistic. The Pacific Northwest is going to have a uh, an above average precipitation season from this winter and into at least the the beginning of spring. Um, I'm quite optimistic that to Washington, Oregon, and Northern California, into parts of Idaho, uh, this pattern that we see developing early this winter into midwinter, should bring frequent frontal systems into those areas. And that'll be good news for the snowpack as well. So for folks in the Pacific Northwest, I think it's going to be a colder winter and a snowier winter than the last two.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's move down into, you, you touched briefly about Northern California. Let's Let's go ahead and finish out the Southwestern part of the country.
1: Okay, so for Central and Southern California, going into uh, the Great Basin, Nevada, and Arizona, uh, you know, that's an area that I that I do think is still going to be impacted by La Nina for a good chunk of the winter season. Um, California and part of the desert southwest, if you look at their bigger winter months with precipitation, it happens in January usually, late December, January, and into February. That's where you can get some really big rains in California in the winter season. Um, I do think that they are still going to be impacted by La Nina early in the, in the winter. That means the precipitation for California, central and southern areas, Nevada and Arizona, and parts of Utah are probably going to be a little bit below average with precipitation this winter. That being said, With this La Nina beginning to fade, I think the winter season in those areas will be more wet than the last two. But it's not going to be the the big winter season of completely turning things around there, but it's a start.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's jump up north, and I'm actually going to jump up to our neighbors in the north and, and Alberta and Saskatchewan. I know there's a lot of agriculture, not to say there's not other agriculture in other parts of Canada, but I know it's very similar to what we see uh, for, for ranching uh, in, in the states here. Let's jump up there real quick and what you anticipate for them.
1: Yeah, for for all of the central and western provinces of Canada. Well, in fact, I think it's safe to say all of Canada. Okay. But especially, but especially uh, along and east of the Continental Divide into eastern Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba, I, I, I I'm I'm predicting a pretty severe winter. I think they're going to have some pretty cold conditions. Um, snowfall wise, it may not be much above average, but what snow does fall. Um, is likely going to be sticking around. Um, I think uh, November and December will be really important months for those areas. So for folks in those provinces, um, you do need to be prepared for what could be a long winter season, I'm afraid to say.
0: So will that long winter season head south? Are we going to see that in the Mountain West as we kind of move south and talk about the Mountain West region?
1: Certainly it will. And, and I think we need to use the Continental Divide as kind of the dividing line between where the weather will, winter will be more severe and less Along uh, and west of the divide, I don't think it will be as severe. That Continental Divide plays a really big role in where a lot of these air masses coming out of the Arctic end up going. Uh, however, uh, central and eastern Montana, the eastern side of Wyoming, uh, the northeastern areas of Colorado through Nebraska, the Dakotas, Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, into the northwest Corn Belt, and, you know, I think as far south as, as Kansas, Um I'm expecting a colder than normal winter. Hmm. Um, I'm also expecting that there's there's likely going to be some pretty good snow events as well. Um, you know, one thing that we have seen over the last couple of winters in those areas, you know, the, the Dakotas had a pretty nasty winter last year um, that went well into spring. If we remember those March blizzards Mm -hmm. that just hammered Eastern Montana, Western North Dakota, they had a pretty rough winter last winter and they're going to have another rough one
0: this this year as well. Okay. So you've touched a little bit about the Northwestern part of the Corn Belt. Let's move on down through the Corn Belt states.
1: So for the let's let's lump the Great Lake states in with the rest of the okay. core belt, okay, and they're gonna they're gonna be on the eastern edge of that colder air, so colder than normal conditions and probably near to slightly above average precipitation uh, for those Great Lakes areas. Lake effect snows will be a big player come December and January in those areas. Um, they should expect a, a pretty pretty long winter as well.
0: Mm -hmm. So the big issue this last year was the drought in the south central part of the country in Oklahoma and Kansas, uh, parts of Nebraska, and down into Texas, of course. So what do they anticipate to see? And and as they move into the spring as well?
1: What we really need for those southern plains to get really wet again is going to be an El Nino. Um, and so this La Nina pattern is not a real wet signal for that part of the country. So for Texas, Oklahoma, along the Gulf Coast of the southeast, I am expecting below normal precipitation for the winter season. Now, that may get they may get some help. This is why that changing La Nina midwinter is really important because they may see their fortunes change come March, April, and May towards the end there if the La Nina fades away. So early winter could be dry in those Southern Plains, hopefully trending more wet towards the end. Another thing about the Southern Plains is they will be susceptible to these occasional Arctic outbreaks. They may not last long, but, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, those Southern Plains, um, last two winters, we've had some pretty cold outbreaks in February down there, and I think that's going to happen again.
0: Okay. So you touched briefly about the Gulf side of the southeastern part of the country. Let's just swing southeast and, and, and he, he get into the southeast part of the country. What do you anticipate there? I'm expecting that'll
1: be the warmer, drier part of the United States this winter. That's not to say that some of these Arctic shots could come into there, but for the, the southeast United States, Florida, Georgia, the Carolinas, and with kind of Virginia as the dividing line, uh, points along there in south. And and I would include parts of the south central, the some of the delta areas. I think a, a drier than normal winter is likely, and if you want it to be a little bit warmer, that's where you should go visit.
0: Okay. So then to to kind of finish out, and I may be clumping up too many states here, but when uh, it was, we look at the northeastern part of the country, then what does that look like? And I don't know. I know I've left out some states like New York, and I don't know if they're considered in the northeast or not, but what does that part of the country look like?
1: Well, I, I think they're going to be they're going to be uh, dancing in between being part of the the cold winter that hits uh, parts of South Central Canada, the northern tier of the United States. Uh, you get up into those higher New England states like Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, um, Massachusetts, and Connecticut, I, I, and and the upper parts of New York. I'm looking at that as being a a, a pretty cold, snowy winter. I, as you get to that D.C. New York area. Uh, that metroplex there philadelphia that's an area where i think they're going to be in an in between winter they're going to be probably trending closer to average
0: okay so we we've went through the whole we went through the whole country and i want to go back real quick here and touch on the fact uh, you had talked about la nina not n- not holding on the whole winter and we're in that neutral point by spring we're, let's say, let's take April, May in time frame. Are we still going to be in that neutral phase or do, are we going to have some declaration by then?
1: So the neutral phase is most likely. Um, the The water temperatures have to change really dramatically and really quickly to get us in what we would call an El Nino phase for the spring and summer. Um, we could be maybe in a very weak state by summer, but it looks like, um, That neutral status, and I will tell you that neutral status is enough to make a difference, uh, to to be able to bring a more wet weather pattern to a lot of the drought-stricken areas of the central and west. If you're looking at and talking about, well, when are the odds highest for an El Nino, it's probably going to be that, 2024, 2025 timeframe is when that El Nino is likely going to come back. And that's where you're going to see the better situations for California and the Southwest and the Southern Plains of getting wet again. Um, So it's like, when is that next 2019 coming? It's probably one of those two years or both.
0: Okay. Well, there there we go. That's good to know. Meteorologist Donde is our guest today. And uh, he's going to join us back one more because the next segment is where we typically have have our long-term weather forecast with Don and so we're going to have him back here for that as we get a little bit more immediate look of what that's going to be looking like so stay with us we'll be back on the Working Ranch Radio Show after this It's weaning time, one of the biggest days of the year for you and the most stressful for your calves. Ensure a smooth transition with the VitaCharge weaning program. This two-step program with the AmmaFirm Advantage gives calves the nutritional boost they need to get through the first weeks of weaning, accelerate appetite, increase weight gain, and improve health. It's weaning time. Get them ready with VitaCharge. For more information, visit VitaFirm.com forward slash Vita dash charge. And welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. Our program here today has been on weathered Meteorologist Don Day joining us and uh, if you missed the first three segments, some great discussion there about that, I invite you to go back to our podcast site at WorkingRanchRadio.com and you can find all of our podcasts and get to listen to this one as well. We're going to go now into our normal segment that we have, uh, Don, and let's talk a little bit more about our immediate weather here in the next 10 days or so. We've definitely seen a lot more winter weather across the country i know for our our neck of the woods here in northeastern wyoming we had our first touch a little bit of snow not a whole lot to it but the, the question i've got is uh is this how do typhoons affect our weather here across the country
1: yeah that's that's a great question because a lot of folks might say well well what's a typhoon and how could that affect us here well typhoons are basically hurricanes but in the western pacific in the Indian Ocean, in the, in the western side of the Pacific Ocean, they just call them typhoons. But we could just say that they're hurricanes. And when you look at the time of year we're in, here we are about ready to go into November. We're at the end. We're getting to the end. We're not done with it, but we're getting to the end of that tropical storm and hurricane season. And a lot of times we've seen this, again, from that historical standpoint, we have seen that when we have hurricane or tropical storm activity in the West Pacific, over towards the Philippines, over towards Taiwan, the western side of the Pacific Basin. A lot of times in the, in the late fall season, we'll see a hurricane or a tropical storm form there and then take a track north all the way up to the higher latitudes to where basically what's the left of these tropical storms or hurricanes gets fed into the jet stream that this time of year is getting really strong across Siberia and going out across the North Pacific. And what'll it's like throwing gas on a fire. You take that leftover hurricane energy and moisture and you plug it into that jet stream. It causes that jet stream to get very energetic and strong. And what that'll do is it'll be like snapping a garden hose. If you snap a garden hose with your wrist, you notice a little wave will mm-hmm. go along through it. You have a straight garden hose, but you snap it all of a sudden in a wave. And so, so what a typhoon will do is it'll cause that straight jet stream wind to buckle. And if it buckles, you get these big dips where the jet stream comes from the north and goes south and goes back up again. That opens the door to the higher latitudes. If you open the door to the higher latitudes, you open the door to the cold. So it's like we're leaving the freezer door open. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Here it comes. You know, the freezer door is open and that air, cold air just spills on out. And a lot of times as we go from the early part of fall to late fall to early winter, sometimes these typhoons kind of set into motion. The start of the cold season in parts of the northern hemisphere, especially across North America. So we're talking about something six, (laughs) seven thousand miles away happening. Yeah, that will directly impact the weather here.
0: And and that's what we've been seeing too. We've we've actually seen these waves of weather disturbances uh, coming through. That's bringing the wintry, colder weather here the last while. And that's kind of what you're anticipating going forward.
1: That's that's exactly right. And and I think uh, if if you were to look. At temperatures up in Siberia and the snow cover that's building there, as well as parts of northern and central Asia, um, we're building that cold air uh, with those long nights now. Um, so once we start having these these uh, cold surges go and penetrate further south, that just propels us into that longer colder season, and also. You start to put snow on the ground, like we've seen over the last week in parts of Canada, Alaska, the Northwest Territories, that cools things off as well. So we're really starting to see the season wanting to change.
0: Mm-hmm. So with that, I guess I, we've talked a lot of weather stuff here today. You kind of give us an idea of where we're at. For folks that just want to kind of keep tuning in with what you're doing, I know you've got a, a YouTube channel and your website. Um, are those the best ways to follow you?
1: Yeah. You, you know, when a search engine is put in day weather podcast and the, it'll take you to one of those locations uh, that uh, runs it. We update it in the mornings, Monday through Friday. If there's something really fun going on, we'll update it on weekends. But we do talk about these things. We do talk about the what's going on out in the Pacific and uh, try to give you kind of a clue on what may come, not in the next five days so much, but the next 10 or 15.
0: You bet. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. We had uh, a longer format today. It's always extremely educational. And I think folks, uh, weather is such an important part of our industry. So I appreciate you taking the time to join us here today on our program. Happy to be here. Meteorologist Don Day, our guest on our program here today. And just real quick before we wrap up this segment. And that is when Don and I were talking about some of the extreme weather events that we've seen and a lot of time when those things happen or we're going through those things, then we, our memories are that, boy, this is the worst that we've ever experienced. We were kind of joking a little bit about that. And I guess the thing that I, I want you to know is that we, it's not a joke when, when there are extreme weather events that might, may not have been a hundred year situation, but when it's an extreme weather event, it is serious and the devastation that we, we experienced. As ranchers, whether it's loss of livestock or whether it's equipment or infrastructure, barns, whatever that may be, it's still important. And so it was not meant to be disrespectful of that element other than we were just talking about the perspective of of really understanding our weather in light of the centuries and centuries of of weather that has taken place. So I just felt it was important that uh, I take some time to kind of make sure you're aware of that and clear that up well stay with us coming up next we'll put a wrap on this week's show and talk about what's on tap for the next episode of the working ranch radio show back after this Well, before we head out on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show, I do hope you enjoyed our program here today with meteorologist Don Day. If you're a regular listener, you know that he joins us in every show to give us a kind of a shortened version of a long-term outlook for weather across the country. And it's always good when we have the opportunity to have him on for an entire show to not only talk about a long-term weather outlook for region by region, but also just some of the other conversations that we have regarding weather that I always walk away with feeling like I was quite educated and very knowledgeable. Than compared to when i went into the conversation so hope you go back and listen to that by the way today's episode is episode 93 now coming up on next week's edition of the working ranch radio show I invite you to tune in or download as we're going to have cowboy chef kent rollins out of hollis oklahoma will be joining us Now, i know for a lot of you you've probably seen him on his youtube channel or maybe a few years ago you saw him on some of the the competition cooking shows that were out there pleased to have him be sure to join us next week for cowboy chef kent Rollins joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. A quick thank you to our sponsors here today. It is weaning time, so for protection and recovery think Vita Charge by Biozyne. For more information visit VitaFirm.com forward slash Vita-Charge and Zoetis, visit InheritProgress.com to request a call with a wrap and ask about free TSUs, that's in regards to genomic testing on your replacement cattle. Also, speaking of Zoetis, it's the little things that could derail progress, but your herd can be covered. Visit GetLessParasites.com for solutions from Zoetis. And the American Simmental Association is profit through science. Find out more at Simmental.org. And Zenpro Avella 4. Allow your cows and calves to perform to their full potential with Zenpro Avella 4. Well, the Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine, branded number one by America's Ranchers. If you'd like to start your subscription, you can go to workingranchmag.com and get your subscription started today. We thank you for joining us here on our program. We hope you tune in next week at this same time, same place or on your favorite podcast provider. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.